So if you hosted a Thanksgiving meal, I'm guessing you have some leftovers, especially if you cook three turkeys. Um, you may even send some home with people. Now, uh, if you had sweet potatoes, green bean casseroles, or Brussels sprouts, well, then I know you had leftovers because there's really only six people in the whole country that actually eat those things, and I'm guessing they weren't all at your party. So... Um, uh, when we're having when we're having ten people over for a meal, Ginny uh, prepares for twenty six. Now, you know, I'm not complaining because I'm right there with her. I'm just being honest. She's the one preparing, not not me. You know, I am I am there giving helpful hints on you know giving her my helpful hints on how she can how she can uh, prepare, you know, maybe a little better um, or a little quicker or whatever. But um, the whole thing, we want to provide enough so that whoever's there has all they want, you know, that that they have what they want and they, you know, they don't go home hungry when if everybody leaves and the dishes are empty, Jenny thinks we didn't prepare enough and I think, oh, just enough. But anyway, that's the cheap side of me coming out. But the, you know, the, the whole idea, the whole thought, you know, is, is we want to be generous in our care for our guests. Uh, today, as we finish up Psalm 23, we're looking at the fact that, you know, our, our Lord, our good shepherd, our close companion is also our generous father. He is our generous father. Now you could say generous provider, but he's more than our provider. I didn't really like any of the any of the things to fill in the blank with. I, I was looking for different things and different words, and it just father is the one I settled on. Provider just didn't seem adequate. Uh, our generous host, but he's more than our host as well. So I just stuck with uh, our generous father. Let's pray, and we are going to finish up Psalm 23 today. Father, thank you for your generosity to us. Thank you for the way in which you you provide abundantly, above and beyond what we could ask or imagine. Now we sit here and sometimes we think, oh, but I want this and I want that. Father, you have never left us without anything that we need. Um, open our eyes once again as we look into your word that we might understand you, your heart, your love, your grace, your being, your, your attributes, uh, and your care for us. And that we might be people who would be moved not only to pray, but to praise you for the great God you are. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Teach us from it now, we pray. Amen. We're going to be in Psalm 23. We're going to finish that up, verses 5 and 6, page 497 in the Pew Bible. I've really enjoyed uh, going through. I've enjoyed studying it and, and going through Psalm 23 again. Oh, it's snowing. Sorry. Um, well, you know how I am. Uh, anyway, uh, the, um, uh, 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 it had nothing to do with the sermon. But uh, you know, I've enjoyed going, going through with it you know, and taking it a little bit slower uh, has been, you know, has been nice. Um, we're focused on verse five and six, but we're going to read the entire psalm. So follow along, and we begin with verse one. The Lord is my shepherd; there is nothing I lack. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for His name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
verse 5 and 6, what we're going to cover today. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. I said, we make another transition here when we get to verse 5. I pointed out to you last week, you know, we're still speaking with God. The transition that comes as you go into verse 4, when you get into verse 4, he makes that transition from speaking of he and me. In verse 4, he begins with you and I. It it makes that, that change from talking about God to actually talking with God and having that conversation with God. That continues into verse 5, but now you make a transition really from a a picture of a sheep and a shepherd. You make a transition to this picture of this generous host, generous provider, this generous father, and those that he's invited. In verse 5, we have a very clear picture of how the Lord, how our good shepherd, how our, you know, how our close company, our generous, our generous father, how he welcomes us. He's the one giving, we're the ones receiving. Now we moved really from the darkest valley in verse 4. I mean, it was, we looked at that last week, but as you read it, you just read right from that darkest valley here into the generous provision of verse 5. Notice what it says, he prepares, he anoints, he causes my cup to overflow. It's all coming, it's coming from him. He's the one giving, we're the ones receiving. The word translated prepare here, where he says you prepare a table before me. Uh, It's used in the Old Testament for setting things out in order, setting them out in order. It's particularly used for the ministry of the priests. In Leviticus chapter 1, it says, the sons of Aaron will prepare a fire on the altar and arrange wood on uh, on the fire. Aaron's sons, the priests, are to arrange the pieces, the head and the suet on top of the burning wood on the altar. Where you see arranger, that's that same word where he's talking about this particular, meticulous even, a very specific arrangement here. It's an act of very specific, but more importantly, very intentional preparation. It is very intentional preparation. It's not something done haphazardly. It's not something done as an afterthought. It's not just something thrown together. It is done with intentionality. It is done with purpose. The word describes an exactness of care, an attention to detail, nothing left to chance that God prepares in this way, very intentional on his part, leaving nothing to chance. To prepare a table here was to make ready a feast, to set, to set before a guest the, the best of everything. C.S. Lewis saw this as a horrible, as a horrible verse. Uh, now, C.S. Lewis was a philosopher, not a theologian. He said many theological things, you know, and many things that we can learn from theologically. But he was a philosopher, and he thought this was a horrible verse, that God would do something like this, that God would do something such as set this table up before the enemies, taunting the enemies. How in the world, how in the world, he, he said, you know, could God ever, how could God ever do something like this, you know, to taunt the enemies? But in the presence, in the presence of my enemies is not a taunting move here. 
You know, not at all. You know, God's not lifting us up so that we can stick our tongue out at other people. That's not, that's not why he provides you. He doesn't provide for you so that you can flaunt it in front of other people. You know, that, that's not at all what he's, what he's doing here. Remember who's writing this. David is writing this. David was one who had to run, who had to flee for his life. And he had, he had to flee for his life, and he was hiding in caves as Saul was seeking to kill him, was seeking his life. Even after David was anointed king, before Saul you know, really came to grips totally with all that, you know, he was still trying to kill him. And what was, uh, David was running for his life, but as he was running for his life, God was still providing for him. He was still providing, he was providing uh, you know, safety. He was providing food. God was still providing for him in the very face of his enemies. And I think that's what we have here. We have a statement that God will continue his care even as our enemies continue to oppose us. Even as they are trying to destroy us, God will still care for his people. You know, God's care for his people, it's meant to be a witness to those who reject God. You know, he is caring for us and he is providing for us and it's a witness to those who don't know him. When God brought the plagues on Egypt, you know, there were times in some of those plagues which he very specifically pointed out and pointed out to Pharaoh that there was going to be a distinction uh, one of them comes up in, in uh, Exodus chapter 8. He says, but on that day, he's, as, he's, as God's delivering his message through Moses and delivering it, uh, he says, on that day I will give special treatment to the land of Goshen, where my people are living. No flies will be there. This way you will know. You see, it's, it's meant to be a witness. This way you will know that I, Yahweh, am in the land. Yahweh, Lord, that same, that same one who the Lord is my shepherd. You know, I will make a distinction between my people and your people. He was making that distinction. He was taking care of his people in the very face of his enemy, not to, not, to, not to rub their noses in it, but to not only care for his people, but to show those enemies that there is a God and that he is real. His care very vividly expresses his love and commitment to his people, his care for his people, the reality of who he is. This even happens in the New Testament, Acts, the second chapter of Acts, where... Uh, the church is just getting rolling, just getting started. You know, God's people are just standing up and they're beginning to realize, uh, they haven't realized yet, you know, that, that, that uh, those who are following Jesus, they recognized him as the Messiah. They felt, you know, still felt they were Jews. They just recognized the Messiah at this point. But here's, you know, a, a distinction again where the, the people of God are being seen as the people of God. He says, now all the believers were together and they held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with a joyful and humble attitude, praising God and having favor with all the people. You see, it was a witness. It was a witness to them. God's care was a witness. He was having favor with all the people, and every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. His care for his people was a witness to those around. It was, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
God still cares for us when those enemies are there, and that care is a witness to them of the reality of who God is. Psalm 23 continues. He says, you anoint my head with oil. Now that seems weird to us. Anybody anoint anyone with guests? Anybody purposely anoint a guest with oil? Now you may have done it accidentally, uh, you know, but... They uh, get out the Crisco and butter their head or something. But you anoint my head with... In their culture, in their culture, you would anoint the head of an honored guest as a sign that you are honoring him. One of the translations I saw in this, and I think of it more as a, of a paraphrase, <laughs> that you perfume me. You perfume me. They did use oils, you know, they did use oils as, you know, as a perfuming agent as well. Um, so, you know, it could be a legitimate. But the point here is, you know, it, it seems very strange to us, but the point is, it's an expression of generosity by the guest, by the host to the guest. It, it's an expression of generosity, an expression of honor. And that, that carries over. It's amplified in the next phrase. He says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. That a picture of abundant provision, of more, more than, than caring for every need. It's more than the needs are met, but there's that abundance. You know, you, 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 uh, you, you, again, think of your Thanksgiving meal, you know, and you had more than you needed. Uh, pretty much every meal you have, you have more than you need. That abundance, that every need is cared for. This is the picture that he's giving us here, that abundant provision. We're welcomed with an abundant, overflowing welcome that provides all that we need and more. Saying, God, you've provided all I need and more. We're treated as an honored guest. The point for us to remember here, you know, is that when enemies are against you, Jesus is for you and Jesus is with you. He is, for, he is our Lord. We looked at that the very first week. Two weeks ago, as we were looking at where it says, the Lord is my shepherd. And Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. You know, that, that whole picture, that whole relation there, you know, the, the, the picture, the reality that, that, that God is for us and he is with us. You need to read this in conjunction with the rest of the psalm. No matter whatever or whomever comes against you, your good shepherd, your closest companion, your generous father is for you. He is with you. He is providing for you, regardless of the opposition. You know, he, he welcomes us as his special guest. Not because we're special, but because he is. He welcomes us this way because of who he is. That's what he starts with, you know, that the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord, that same Lord that he was talking, that he that talked to Moses and said, I am a sent me, the one who doesn't need, who doesn't need any of us, but reaches out to us, the one who is the self-sustaining God. This is the picture that he has there. But then look at what our generous father provides. Verse 6, he says, only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. The goodness here, goodness refers to you know, uh, the goodness of God, which is God's glory. 
Um, now I say that because when Moses was talking with God about, uh, about their relationship, uh, Moses asked to see God's glory. He says, you know, Lord, I, I want to see, you know, I, let me see your, your glory. And God says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim the name Yahweh before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. He says, all my goodness is going to pass before you. And and I will proclaim that name Yahweh, that Lord, the the one, that provider, that sustainer. All of my goodness will pass before you. And then we read, and then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed Yahweh. Yahweh is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger rich in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations and forgiving the wrongdoing, the rebellion and sin. That phrase, faithful love, that we see here in Exodus and you see other places, you know, and you see even, you know, even in, in, in the psalm here, in the verse, that only goodness and faithful love, that word faithful love, that's that Hebrew word has said. We've gone over this before. I've shared this with you before. But, you know, but it's an important thing to grasp a hold of. We, we've looked at it many times. Now, just to remind you that that word has said, that's God's con- covenantal love because he is God. Because he is God, that he will do what he said he will do because he is God. He will be faithful to who he is. He is faithful. You have this, this picture here of God's faithful love even to his unfaithful people. You know, it's a loyal, steadfast, committed, faithful, covenantal love. He's faithful to his unfaithful people because he is God. Because of who he is, he is faithful to his unfaithful people. That hope, deliverance, you know, guidance, enablement, enlightenment, they're all based on God's has said, on God's faithful love. I don't know if you saw the news this week. Uh, you know, Rosalind, Rosalind Carter, uh, she passed away this week. And one of the things they mentioned is that she and President uh, Jimmy Carter had been married for 77 years. 77 years. The longest marriage in presidential history. Uh, I looked up some statistics as I read that. It, it got me thinking, so I looked up some statistics. It says that almost half of all marriages are over, are, are done with by 15 years. Now that that you know the uh, the majority of those are divorced. Not all of them are divorced, but the, ma- the majority is. It said that fewer fewer than five percent of all marriages make it to fifty years. Now certainly death of a spouse comes into play, but fewer than five percent. So I was curious, just how long is the longest married couple? Uh, how long they've been married? And there's a couple, Herbert and Zelmira. They didn't give their last name. I don't know why. Herbert and Zelmira. They've been married 80, they were married 86 years, 290 days. I just say we call it 87 years. You know, yeah, let's just call that 87. 87. They were working, they were 290 days into their 87th year. Let's just give them credit for that, that whole shebang there. Um, you know, 
Now, we recognize marriages, you know, of over 50 years here, you know, at, at Northside. You know, when somebody's married over 50 years, we, you know, we, we put it up on the screen. We take time to recognize that. Um, because what we're looking at in those situations, you know, in those marriages, is a steadfast, committed, covenantal love. Has said. That's what we're looking at in those. It's a faithful love that didn't give up. Not because they didn't have opportunity. Not because sometimes, you know, they, they weren't irritated with one another. That's not the picture at all. You know, I'm, I'm sure they had opportunity to quit, particularly in our society where you don't really need a reason to quit. You can just quit anyway. But, 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 they, didn't. but they chose to stick it out. They chose to be with one another. They chose to make this commitment something they were not going to walk away from. There's a little bit of a picture for you of this word has said. Except you see, it's based on the reality of who God is, not who we are. We are unfaithful. We are, you know, we are, we are someone, you know, we are, we are people, we have given God more than enough reason to walk away. But because of who He is, He's committed to us, that faithful love. We're told, notice what it says, that his goodness and faithful love are pursuing us. This is more than simply following. That word is a term, it's a, it's a term that was described a military combat scene where someone was pursued to the point of death. Where they were pursued and they were gone after in, until they died, you know, until they were gone. That's the picture here. And what we're told is God's goodness and faithful love are focused and determined in their pursuit of us and will not leave us. You know, it's that picture there. It's really another way of saying that the Lord himself is pursuing us. That God himself is pursuing us. Now the verse starts out in the Holman Christian Standard with a curious detail. It says we're told only goodness and faithful love will pursue us. Some translations say surely goodness. That's not a woman's name. It's a surely goodness or certainly, it says, some of the translations, but only good. Now, we would all say we've not only been pursued by goodness and faithful love. How could it say, how could God say here only goodness and and faithful love. How can we balance? How can we balance you know the, this verse with the situations we have been through? How can we balance this with the horrible things that we've seen other people go through? You know, how do we do that? I think once again it's remembering all of these things that we see are a snapshot in time. And we sometimes make a judgment on a snapshot in time. In the middle of or even immediately following surgery is not the time to decide if it was a good thing to go through. Eleven days ago um, was the one-year mark for my surgery. Elvin and I were talking a little bit this morning, and I said a year ago I was standing in back because I couldn't sit. Actually, 
a year ago I was at home. <laughs> I, I still had, wasn't able to make it here. You know, um, I, I, my doctor told me, you know, at three months when I went in to see the doctor, you know, he told me, um, he said, you know, most people, most of my patients uh, say it's, you know, that that surgery has been worth it. Said, this patient's not saying that, buddy. I, I, even at six months, you know, even when we hit six months, you know, and I said, if this doesn't get any better, I am not going to be one of those guys saying this was worth it. But here I am a little, you know, just over a year later, and I can look back, and I can see it was worth it. When we're in the midst of something, or even just past something you know that 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 just beats us down and takes us out of it that you know that is not the time notice the perspective in verse 6 the perspective there is we're moving forward and as we glance back we see God's goodness and faithful love we see God himself pursuing us as we glance back that's the picture. That's, that's the, that's a, you, the only way you know somebody's pursuing you is when you look back. You see, and we have this picture here, you know, that, that sometimes, sometimes things don't make sense until we are down the road a bit. Sometimes we don't see how these, picture, how these pieces all fit together until, you know, until we get a better perspective. And, and we don't know and we don't see how it all fits until we can look back and we can see the fuller picture. We touched on this a little bit last week, but that uh, the truth of Romans 8.28, over and over again, I have seen it in my life. Over and over again, you have seen it in your life. We know that in all things, nothing is left out of there. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. You may not see it yet. But you will get to that place, and it may not be until you stand with the Lord. But you, it's already happened to in your life here. You've seen it in other things. We're in the middle of it. This stunk. This just was, this was not a good thing when you're in the middle of it. But as you look back, as you look back, you can see how God used that for good in your life. I remember hearing, coming home from my friend's house, I said, Tommy Lekovich's house means nothing to you. He's a friend I met in kindergarten. And it was the summer after I got out of kindergarten, I was at Tommy Lekovich's house. That was in the good old days when you could walk three or four blocks unaccompanied by an adult. Anyway, uh, I was down at Tommy's house, and I came home, and everybody's upset. Everybody's crying. And What's going on? And one of my sisters said, Mom and Dad are getting a divorce. I didn't even know what that word meant. I had never heard that word before. It meant nothing to me. I thought, hmm. Apparently it's not good. Everybody, you know, everybody's crying. Well, yeah. And I remembered that, you know, and, and, and you know, and... My dad was gone, and that was it. He stepped out of my life. 
And I remember, you know, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. And that quickly came to an end. I mean, she tried, you know, working from home and doing things from home. And working from home really wasn't a thing back then, uh, you know. And, uh, you know, and I, I can remember, you know, just how life had changed. I wouldn't have told you that was a good thing in the middle of it. But, you know, as I look back on that, not that God caused that. Don't, don't get that confused in your mind. Not that God caused that to happen. But I can see where that's one of the all things in my life that God used for good in my life. There is nothing that God can't use for good in the life of his people. And that whole picture, you know, of, of, of only goodness and faithful love will follow me all the days of your life. That is a statement of growing confidence in the goodness and the faithful love of God. Knowing that I may not understand it now. But I do understand the goodness and the faithful love of God. And because I understand the goodness and the faithful love of God, I know that he will use this for good in my life at some time. You know, it's, a tr it's trusting in the loyal, steadfast, faithful love of God. The Hesed of God. Even though we cannot see it clearly at the moment. Even if you cannot feel it now the Lord will still be with you in that dark valley. Even though you can't feel his presence, he is still with you in that dark valley. He will still walk with you without fail all of your days because he is God, not because of you, but because of him. He will be there and he will be there all of your days. And one day you might look back on that worst moment of your life and be able to say, God's goodness and faithful love never left me. No, never left me. He was always there. Some of you are familiar with that, that poem, Footprints, you know, and, uh, and it just talks about, the, you know, I saw these footprints in the sand and it was there. And there are two footprints, you know, God and I walking along. Just a paraphrase. God and I walking along, and you know, there, but there were times, you know, Lord, there were only times where there was only one one set of footprints. Why would you leave me? You know, why would you leave me at my darkest, at my at my the, the moments where I hurt the most? You know, and the Lord replies, uh, that, that, you know, that the reason there's only one set of footprints there, those are the times I carried you. There's a picture of that faithful love. God never leaves us. Our good shepherd, our Lord, our close companion, our, our generous father sends his good and faithful love after us all the days of our life. Those moments in time are not wasted. They're, they're all part of where our generous father leads us of where our generous Father leads us. You know, all of this, every, everything, 
Everything we go through in, in following him, it's all leading somewhere. It's all leading somewhere. And this is what he says, you know, at the end of the psalm here. He says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. There's the ultimate goal. There's the ultimate being with right there. You know, it, it, it's that, that picture of scripture from beginning to end, you know, that, that we've spent some time on the phrase last week when we got to, you know, when we were looking at verse four, then that phrase that you are with me in Hebrew, in, in the Hebrew text, that phrase you are with me is the, is the exact middle of the psalm. Now, one of the ways they teach in Hebrew is they teach to a pinnacle point. And, 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 you know, they teach looking forward to that pinnacle point. And then from that point, as they continue teaching, they continue teaching as they're coming down, and they still are looking back and pointing back to that. That's what you see in, in Psalm 23 here. You see that, you know, teaching that the whole reality that you are with me. You know, as it's looking forward, and then as it's looking back, that you are with me. You know, that's, that, that's what's there. You know, we mentioned last week the whole thrust of Scripture from Genesis through Revelation is God's desire that he and we live together. From the Garden of Eden where, where man and God, where God walked with man in the garden all the way through, you know, for, as the tabernacle came and, you know, the tabernacle was set up. Why? God said, so I can dwell with my people. The temple was made. Why? God said, so I can dwell with my people. Jesus came. Why? Because he was Emmanuel. What? God with us. He has given us his Holy Spirit. Why? So that he can live with his people. You go all the way through to the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, what happens? There's the new heaven and the new earth. Why? So God can live with his people. We were created for fellowship with God. We were created for that. The whole point of our existence is to live with him. That's the whole point of it is to live with Him. Not just in the future, but we have that reality, we have that privilege, we have that honor now as He dwells in us by His Spirit, to live with Him. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord for as long as I live. Now most of your Bibles have a footnote there at verse 6. This, this verse could be translated, I will, I will return to dwell. I will return to dwell in the house of the Lord for all the length of my days. When we live with the Lord, we'll never have to move out. You know, it, it will never end. One of the things I tell people is, you know, your kids, your kids are a temporary relationship in this regard. They'll always be your kids. There's a reality of it. But they're going to move out one day. And you may help them. No. Uh, but yeah, the, the, you may encourage them. You may say, start saving your money. Uh, anyway, it, the, the, whole, the whole picture in reality is you know, that we will live with God and we will never have to move out. Look back over what we've seen in this psalm, the three weeks we've looked at it here. You know, the journey is long, so we need a good shepherd to guide us. We need a good shepherd to protect us. You know, it's, it's dangerous, so we need a close companion to comfort us. We need a close companion to calm us. We need that close companion to be with us through those darkest valleys. 
And it's wearisome. And we need a generous father. A generous father who will provide for us physically, emotionally, spiritually. He's the one whom you can trust. Never forget, our Lord is that Lord of the burning bush. The one who, who, whose never fading strength comes from his self-existence. You know, the one whose care comes from his self-sufficiency. The one whose supply comes from his eternality. You know, the fact that he is eternal. You're journeying to the house of the Lord. You're heading home. Look at the psalm. The Lord, Yahweh, the self-existent one, this person is my good shepherd. The one who cares for me because of who he is. Therefore, there is nothing I lack. In his provision, he lets me lie down in abundant green pastures. He leads me beside those quiet waters that I need. He lovingly renews my life. He refreshes and restores my soul. He continually leads me along the right paths. Those in line with His Word. Those in line with His character. For His name's sake. Because He is God. Even when following His leading, even when following what He knows is best for us, that I go through the deepest, darkest valley, I fear no danger. For you, my loving, caring shepherd, my close companion, you are with me. Your rod of protection and your staff of guidance, they comfort me. They guide and console me. They draw me closer to you, making me more aware of your presence. You lovingly prepare a table before me, even in the unrelenting presence of my enemies those who wish me harm. You anoint my head with oil, welcoming me as your special guest. My cup overflows because of your bountiful provision and care. Only goodness and faithful, unfailing love, your said will follow me. Your covenantal love and your commitment will doggedly pursue me all the days of my life, every day that you give me breath. And I one day will dwell with you in your very presence in the house of the Lord as long as I live and for all eternity. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your graciousness extended to us, not because of us, but because of you. Thank you for your word. Continue to make it more and more real in our hearts, in our lives, in our living. Open our eyes to see you more clearly. Open our hearts to allow you to not fight you as you seek to make us more like yourself and open our hearts to the joy that you have and want for us. That we might recognize you not only as Lord and God, 
but as our good shepherd. As our compassionate, constant companion. And as our generous, loving father. We need those reminders. Thank you for the reality of yourself given to us, your people. We pray with thanks and joy in Christ's name. Amen.